It's happening. It's all happening. Re Hello, climate change. <laughs> um, and yes, this is the podcast about waking up, taking action, one conversation at a time. And I'm here today with my beloved husband, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. <laughs> um, and you know, in some ways, it's my favorite. These are my favorite conversations because I think they're more... We, you and I can get closer to what I'm aiming for in this podcast, which is just grappling with it and not necessarily, um, I mean, it's good to give information and I try to do that too, but I think it's more interesting. I think the, the thing that's missing in the conversation around climate change isn't just experts telling us the information. It's how do we as individuals and citizens respond yeah, nodding doesn't register on the radio. <laughs> you know? I agree. <laughs> Is that better? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's definitely better. Um, so, uh, as as is often the case, we don't have much of a plan about what we're going to talk about. But it's been a little while since since you and I have have sat down and talked mm -hmm. about this. So, I guess I want to start by asking you, what have you been thinking about about climate change lately, Jim? What have I been thinking about? Well, there's actually been a lot. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of stuff in the news. Uh, mm -hmm. We've personally had some travels yeah. that brought the issue home, I think, in a really direct way. Uh, maybe I'll just start with that. Yeah. Because we Go went ahead. out to California last week for your for your brother's wedding. Right. So we're in Connecticut. If you haven't heard other... Um, podcast you wouldn't know that yet so right go ahead right. and the united states obviously yep and southern california about an hour to the northeast i guess of uh, santa barbara and wow is it a dry climate it was really just dramatic how mm -hmm. brown everything is mm -hmm. how dry it is mm -hmm. How many cars there are <laughs> <laughs> in the LA area, especially? Yes. Yeah, because you know we flew into LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, and just immediately went into bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic right. for I don't know how long—fifty miles, sixty miles. It seemed like. Yeah, I don't remember. And we've been hearing about um, the drought there and how severe it is and how imminent. Um, uh, danger, danger there is to to the situation because the, I think NASA released a report, maybe it was three months ago or less, saying that they have about a year's worth of water left in mm. California. And I've also heard more recently that there's hope around, uh, is it El Nino or La Nina? I don't remember those the, that detail, but that there's there's hope that there'll be some rain. But, I mean, that doesn't sound... I mean, I've also heard that, well, Pat, who, who my our friend who works for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection in Connecticut was talking to me recently on another podcast, and he was saying that that there was, uh, a th the last hundred years in California have been wetter than the last thousand years. So the point being, this this sort of wet spell that, uh, that, that um, dry California has had might be coming to an end. And even if it, this, you know, there's some rain and there's some minor alleviation, they've been depleting the water that they've had slowly but surely for a long time. Mm -hmm. So go on. What else are you going to say about it? Well, 
so the dryness. I mean, I've lived. I lived in California for six years back in the eighties, mm-hmm. early nineties, and even that period was a was a drought period. Mm-hmm. So I know how dry it is there. Right. But I think I forgot, <laughs> like how tender. I mean, grass is like straw. Yeah. It's nothing is green except. I mean, there, there are some trees that are just perennially green. So that struck me, but then also just thinking of all of those cars on those freeways every single day, mm. and you know, I didn't like I didn't see a train anywhere or right. a bus station or nothing to move people in a more efficient way. Right. It was like we're all stuck in our cars and we're here on the four hundred five, <laughs> and we're all just driving twenty miles an hour. Yeah, it's, I think it I just saw. was just jarring in a way. I mean, we have the same situation here in some of our gridlocked mm-hmm. highways, but just the scale of it yeah. was more out there. I heard something recently, or I saw a cartoon, <clears throat> or some some little saying someone had written. It says something like, uh, "You're not stuck in traffic; you are traffic." That's Which, right. That's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. it and right. it, it is a. A very basic reorientation to the problem. Yeah. It's not this problem that's happening, and you and it, that's happening to you. You. This is this maybe is a really good way in to talking about. This. For me, this is every single podcast and every single conversation is about figuring out how to change the orientation from something that's happening to us to something that we're doing or that we're part of. Like yeah, traffic for example. Anyway. Yeah, I had well, I had another sort of personal example uh, on the traffic issue. Okay. Like I was at a golf tournament when we got back at this charity golf tournament that I played in, and prior to the tournament, I was talking with a couple of guys, just chit chat. Who are you? Where do you live? Where do you work? That kind of stuff. And the one guy told me where he worked, and here in the Hartford area, they started a new dedicated bus line about four or five months ago, maybe three months ago. Mm-hmm. And so I was asking him, because I realized where he lives is on this this new bus line. So I was asking him if he had tried it or if he was thinking about it. And he was saying, you know, he and a friend of his tried it the first week cause it, just to see what it was like. But, but he really couldn't see himself riding the bus because he's not one of those people that ride the bus. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of getting into like a class thing, like – it's more like poor people that ride the bus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was saying that he was waiting until they put the train lines in. Oh. It's like professional people take the train. They don't take the bus. Oh, wow. And even though I explained to him, you know, I take the bus in pretty regularly. And the people that ride the bus are all working at the major companies in downtown Hartford. But there was something that, that was real for him. Yeah. Like people who take the bus are poor. So he probably lowered his um, his uh, impression of you. Well, <laughs> it would be interesting, yeah. you know, if he would be honest about how that if anything changed by hearing somebody like me mm. who's saying, "Well, I take the bus." Right. Yeah, the bus seems to come up every time you and I talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big leader for you. But there is there is like this personal yeah. emotional block that I think people have yeah. about taking mass transit, right. especially buses. I mean, this is a dedicated yeah. bus line. It's not, you know, 
in there with traffic. Mm-hmm. You're going to get to where you need to go quickly. Anyway. Right. No, no. I, and, well, I mean, you, you're, you're dismissing, like, as I'm nodding, listening to you. I, I'll, I'll be honest. The thoughts that are going through my head are, how do we get us talking about where we struggle rather than where, what we're noticing about how other people mm-hmm. struggle? Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts about that? I, I guess it comes back to the theme that I've talked about before is, well, what do I as an individual do? Yeah. Right now, I think I'm at the, at the point of just talking with people that I have contact with on mm-hmm. a daily basis, bringing the subject up, yeah. or, or just um, somehow finding a way to weave it in mm-hmm. to a conversation that we're having. Right. I mean, I haven't gotten to the point where I feel like I'm ready to take on a bigger project. Yeah. I think it's more like my personal life and how how I can try to do less, you know, using of, of fossil fuels, mm-hmm. either by driving or, or using products that I just throw away mm-hmm. that are made of, you know, oil. And so... I don't know if there's anything that gets in the way I, other than just feeling like it's so big and what can I as an individual do to really have an impact. Mm. And I, I guess I'm still like focused on those little things that I have some control over. In one of the podcasts you talk about, you know, your dad and his keeping an absolutely spotless sink um, as a way of having some control over the environment the crazy rest of the house otherwise crazy crazy. environment maybe i I mean i don't know but yeah yeah yeah. but i think that's sort of where i feel like Mm -hmm. this is so big and so overwhelming yeah that at least i can buy fewer plastic bottles Mm -hmm. and drive my car less one thing that i heard recently that i thought was really interesting was i mean i think let me back up and say I think a lot of what makes it hard to keep our our focus on this issue is just how sort of emotionally overwhelming and isolating it feels. Um, and a way in that was described to me that I thought was interesting was um, to notice where you what small tiny thing that you have feelings like that you feel strongly about that you have and it doesn't have to be justified in any particular way. So when I was asked that, the thought that I had is that. And this is going to sound weird, but I I feel sad about strawberries. And what I mean by that is like walking into the store in March and seeing strawberries there. And, you know, even earlier in February, there's strawberries, there's strawberries in the grocery store and they're not in season yet where we are. And where are these coming from? Where? And it just there's something about. I mean, there's there's something about. um the invisible privilege that we have mm. that 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 we have the money so that people in four far away places are growing us strawberries and sending them to us so that they can lay them out on our on our right. um, produce shelves and we're like oh strawberries sure that price looks good and we take them and 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 I'm I'm definitely not saying I'm above it in fact I think the part of the sadness I feel is like well, I like strawberries and I'm not don't and no one else is depriving themselves and I 
I just don't want them to be there. I don't want them mm. to be available to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, being out in California, yeah. we saw one oh, place yeah. where the strawberries come from. Right. I mean, on our bike ride that we did, we actually drove, rode by a, a field that was growing strawberries. Oh, I didn't even remember yeah. seeing strawberries. Yeah. I saw a lot of squash, and I remember noticing how, well, I used to work on farms, so I kind of remember some of the ways we dealt with things, but growing zucchini and like what will happen is you go down the field and you're picking zucchini and you really only want the small tender ones and um and you don't want any of the zucchinis to grow big because then less new fruit will will happen on the plant um so if something's overgrown you pick it but you're not going to harvest it and so when we were dry when we were riding our bike by this i mean it must have been two miles worth of yellow summer squash. Mm -hmm. And at the end of each row were these piles of over, uh, I wouldn't call them overripe. It's just that they were beyond what the market demands yeah. in terms of how big they had gotten. Yeah. And then they were just sitting there rotting. Right. And, and um, you know, you think about that, how many people need food and, and just, I had heard recently that, um, um, somebody had done the math and they said that, yes, factory farming or large-scale farming um, may bring in more dollars per acre, but small farms, um, small-scale farming brings in more calories per acre. Mm. And it's probably that kind of thing has certainly got to be part of it, you right. know, because, right. I mean, those larger zucchini are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with them. And in many cases, they're just as tender. And if they're not, they can be used another way. You know, you can put them in a soup instead of in a, you know, some, I don't know what people do with zucchini. <laughs> I know what I do, but put them on the grill maybe. Or yeah, I don't you can know. grill them. Yeah. Sure. sure. So anyway, we're off on a tangent, but they're all, it's all tangents, isn't it? Well, but, but bring it back to climate change, okay. California's water yeah. shortage is in large part due to the heavy use by agriculture. Right. So their Efficiency desire to fill our yeah. need to have strawberries yeah. year-round right. leads to shortage in water for, for the whole yeah. state and that whole you, region. Well, you know what? I had a little revelation the other day because I, I was talking to Beth Hankins on, on this podcast, the last episode, and I was telling her about this clip that I had seen about um, the way um, uh, Smithfield – which is this big producer of pork, among other things, um, farms pigs, and how how devastating it is to the neighborhoods that they're in. But they're nowhere near us. And I found myself thinking, like, it was just another one of these examples of awful, awful things that are happening. And if it, and I almost find myself wishing it was near us so that it made sense to go protest, you know, to or go talk to my representative and say... You can't, or talk to Pat Bo. Even like this is, this is something the Department of Environmental Protection should be looking at. Like you can't right. spray urine and feces into the air and have it rain on my house, and that's okay, you know. But that, uh, so that was one of those places where I felt like, oh, like I don't even eat that much pork. It just, and I wouldn't even buy. Like I don't buy. If I buy meat, it's going to be. It's not that often. Number one, and number two, it's locally, you know. It's usually locally produced, and it's usually whatever. I don't mm -hmm. think, it's not about that, but, but anyway, the realization I had is that things like that, there are local actions that could be taken. Who's selling that stuff here? 
and right. who and and there can be some kind of organized effort to mm-hmm. stand up for the rights of people who who don't have a voice um so that was that's a small thing in a, in a sense it's a small thing but there's lots of those things like the I'm not sure I don't have the confidence that I could make a case for I, I, that I could convince anyone to say stop bringing us strawberries <laughs> you know and I also want to be sensitive to the reality that there are people who are are scraping a living together doing whatever they can to get a little bit of our money yeah and um and i don't want i don't want to take that away from them yeah but i also but i also want us to have a sustainable world so there's a lot of little things there Mm I just I'm not making light of it. I just want to be really clear like I'm like crying about this daily. <laughs> I just cuz it's it feels like I, it now I was watching we were talking about this earlier. I was watching Downton Abbey this show that that's like taking place in I don't know nine, around the turn of the century maybe 1920 is the the episodes I'm watching right now. And um and there's these it's it's a drama. It's very it's very um soap opera-esque. Um, in some ways, um, because it's like all this intrigue and relationships. It's not as, I don't know, that's maybe an overstatement to call it soap soap. I can't even say that, soap opera-esque. But the thing that was moving to me about it is that it's it's like exposing classism in a certain way mm-hmm. and and showing the humanity of of both these owning class people and these their servants and how they're struggling with relationships and how to care about each other and how to make things go well for each other and you know there's bad guys in a sense also but I don't know there's something in it that made me that moved me today and it was something about class like here we are in Connecticut we are white middle class educated you know even though it doesn't feel like we I mean we don't have much of a cushion financially but even so we're in the top two percent and when you do these, there's a, there's a website, and I'll find the link, and I will um, include it in the show notes. But there's a website that does a pretty good job of of calculating where you fit. You do you put in, you plug in your what you own and and what you earn, and um, and it it calculates for you like where you fit in the in the hierarchy of wealth in the world, and it's very enlightening. I went through it and I and I was surprised to find. I mean, the top one percent is a very small amount of people with a lot more money than we have, a lot more. But there's a it's one of those graphs with the long tail, and we shouldn't underestimate how much sort of invisible power we have. And that's what I'm really mm-hmm. fighting to figure out. What do you think, Jim? Well, it it just makes me think of when you talk about class. <clears throat> I mean, if the more dire scenarios play out yeah. in terms of the impacts of climate change, it it's going to be it's going to be poor people that suffer. Well, they already are. Yeah, they're they're the people that are going to lose their homes. They're the ones that are going to die of starvation or heat, mm-hmm. you know. And and that's a reality. Yeah. That really is a reality. Right. There was something I saw. Um, the Weather Channel has these little vignettes where 
a number of fairly high-powered people throughout the world say like a little three-minute things about climate change. And there was this person who was like a military general for the Bangladesh army. And he was saying that they could lose 20% of their country Mm. by the incursion of of the ocean. 20%. And that's an extremely poor country. Right. I mean, just the, the prospect of millions of people losing their homes, having to go somewhere else, dying mm-hmm. in that process, it, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And people in Bangladesh are dying in the factories right, right, right. now. Well, they've had horrific yeah. accidents in their yeah. factories, collapse of buildings and such. It's another place where it's for us, you know, it's to bring cheap clothing to our shelves. and. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've given the system the message that, Cheap is what we want. We don't care yeah. about conditions. If we can get it the best price, then right. then we're going to buy it. So somehow, somehow, and I think part of what, oh boy, I don't. This is. It's almost like there's this huge thought that's wedged inside of my mind, and it's it's so big and unwieldy. It's hard to figure out the words to unravel it, how to get it out of my mouth. Um, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Um, it's something about how uh, how difficult it is for us to give up privilege, like, and 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 that's the thing. Like in those moments, like about the strawberries for me, it's like I I feel I I feel some heartbreak when I walk into the store in February or March and find strawberries on the shelf, and then I buy them because I really like strawberries. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and not buying them doesn't necessarily feel like a like it does anything. It doesn't feel. It feels like well, they've been people are slaving to bring those to us, and and it it doesn't feel right. Who am very I helping thoughtful. by not buying them? Well, <laughs> who, who am I hurting? I mean, yeah. It, it, the least I can do is buy them. <laughs> In a sense, there's that thought too. Right, but like. Um, I'm, I'm right up against right now that I, that to do more means that I need to give up some of my free time and there's not very much of it to give up, but well, that's maybe not true. It just feels that way. There's, it feels like I have to, I have to give up. Maybe I don't exercise as much. Maybe I don't sleep as much. Maybe I don't relax as much. Or, you know, there's some some way that I have to make room in my life that I'm I'm taking action on trying to make change. And it's not just about having conversations and it's not just about getting more information, but somewhere. So and maybe and those are the steps, but that I have to take them, you know, and it does feel like it's hard. It feels hard. It feels like, like when I looked at the, like the show that I'm watching, it's like, you get this impression that these people who are so wealthy and they're used to all this, this lifestyle, if they were plunged into having to become maids or whatever, they would really struggle in a way that people who have been there all their lives are, they don't struggle any less, but there's, it's a different ball game for them. They never, they never were allowed to, to want more. Yeah. So they don't have to go through. I'm being really. I feel like the way I'm talking right now is, uh, 
is really demeaning of people who don't have a lot of money as if it's not as hard for them to, it's not true. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, it's, I just want it to be forced. I want the change. I want those changes. I'm fine with it. If there's no strawberries in the store, hallelujah. But like, I want it to be a forced change. Like, I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't trust that people are capable of, it's like, we're all spoiled brats. And someone's got to take our toys away from us <laughs> and then tell us we got to do some work. And who's that someone? And how do we become that someone? And how do we, like, you know, we went on this trip, this wedding. I mean, first of all, I have major misgivings about getting into an airplane now because of what, what the, I mean, and I, and people have said, well, most of airline travel is, is, is not, is not a commuter or, um, it's not a consumer. It's not a, it's not people getting in an airplane, but it's goods and getting transported from place to place and the military and all this stuff. And so you shouldn't feel so bad about it. And I, uh, whatever, that's not really the point. I just feel like, wow, we've made this lifestyle where it's possible for my brother to live on the other side of the country and to see each other. The people who are closest to me, my family are far away. And we, we, we would never have set ourselves up this way, at least not without giving it serious thought, if it didn't look like this wasn't a big deal to get on an airplane and travel across mm -hmm. the world, basically. Yeah. And uh, so there's so many infrastructure things. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, going back to the strawberry example, it makes me think, like, what would strawberries cost if you factored in the, the use of the water yeah. if people who worked in those fields actually made a solid living wage and they had health care, they had retirement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they actually had working conditions that could support them. They worked an eight-hour day. They got overtime. You know, all those kinds of things. It was, it was like a, a real job that was respected mm -hmm. and had some esteem attached to it. Right. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how much those strawberries would cost but they would be pretty expensive and then we would think they were precious and we would think they were precious and you're not even you didn't even mention shipping but the, right. the, the i mean in the old days and it still happens a little and it seems quaint now but but there would be a strawberry festival because uh, in the spring during this whatever week it was in that town where strawberries were really going crazy and there were so many of them because you only have strawberries for like three weeks yeah. and they're phew, there's a ton of them. And, um, you know, there's only so much strawberry jam that you want. Right. And so people would get together and celebrate strawberries yeah. and then they'd be gone. And then you wouldn't see them again till next year, at least not fresh. And to me, that's, that's a precious thing that's gone away. And in place of it, we get strawberries whenever we want. Right. Is that better? Is that really better? I'm, I don't know the answer. I like having strawberries whenever I want, but I think I, but I feel sad when I see them in the store in February. So Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But we're not, I mean, we're not paying the true cost of all that. No, that's a good point. We're not. And if we did, we would, like you said, we would look at them as being more precious. Right. I think I like the, the, that phrase true cost. Like that may be the movement that I want to get behind is that I want to, I want to pay the true cost of everything that I, that I purchase and I want that money to go where it should go. Mm -hmm. 
So like for some things we pay, you know, your running shoes cost a hundred bucks. Maybe, I don't know which ones you get if they cost that much, but they, More there that. are plenty. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. So your running shoes cost Yours over. Too. Okay. I, okay. So <laughs> running shoes, good running shoes cost over a hundred dollars now. And the people who are making them are not getting that. No, no, no it's going to the companies. Yeah. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah. Which leads me to want to move on to a slightly okay. related Go thing ahead. that I mentioned before we went on yeah, the air, yeah. which is the Pope. Right. Because he hit all of these. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read that. Do you want to read it? Yeah. I mean, I've read little excerpts the, which of it. We're talking about the I, encyclical, which is the statement that the it's like a 200-page uh, policy statement, in a sense, that the Pope has put out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, From ahead. what I understand, it's not like... Some things that the Pope says are supposed to be infallible. Right. You know, like this is like him talking for God. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not one of them. Right. But it's kind of close. Like uh-huh. it's really serious. Yeah. So I just, you know, I grew up Catholic. And when I got into college and started sort of looking at the world through a little different lens, I moved away and didn't go to church. And it's been a long time since I went to church. But I got to tell you, reading some of the things that this pope has read, I mean, has, has, has written, and listening to some of the, the statements that he's made, it just, it does sort of renew my faith. Like, there is hope. Like, if a leader of this magnitude can be so clear, so definitive about what the problem is and what needs to happen, and millions of people take that word to heart that's that's pretty incredible yeah i mean to think that catholic church churches are going to be talking about climate change yeah (laughs) it's pretty awesome yeah it really is and and also politicians are now having to answer questions about right well what do you think about what the pope said and it's putting them in a in a difficult position because they don't want to alienate all their religious followers right well there's a lot of catholics that don't agree with some of the Pope's positions, okay. but still it may, it, it's going to make them uncomfortable mm-hmm. too. They're going to have to grapple with it. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to not say anything to see what else you'll say. <laughs> well, other than the fact that it made, it gave me a sense of hope. Yeah. It also made me think like there is a, there is definitely a spiritual aspect to this that, we don't often touch on, mm. but I think he hit that note in a very clear way. And for people that believe in a God or or a spiritual higher being of some kind, you have to believe that that larger force doesn't want us to treat the world like a big pile of filth, which I think the, the Pope said. Oh, really? Yeah. Pile of filth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, uh, I mean, that's a very awesome thing to say yeah like your god does not want you to treat the world like this right right yeah as a religious duty as a spiritual duty yeah you have to take better care of the earth right i mean that resonates i I would have to imagine that that resonates in almost every spiritual tradition Mm -hmm. so so we got god on our side too (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, one thing that it made me think of is, 
I'm going back to California and watching you get in the shower. So get wet, turn off the shower, soap up and turn on the shower again. Well, it's I, I sort of went back to like what I would call taking a California shower. Because yeah. that's what we used to do when, you know, when I lived there. Right. Because it was a drought period also. Right. And But you know what I felt like is that most people are probably not doing that. Yeah. As much as they're scared and concerned, I didn't do it. I mean, I, I, I rationalized why I didn't do it because I wasn't showering that often. <laughs> that was my <laughs> excuse. But, you know, and I don't, I don't, I take pretty short showers. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when I saw you do that, I was like, wow, you know, these are the kind of things that because we're, you know, we're used to a certain level of comfort and and having all of our the things we want right. it's very hard to tell ourselves no that's more than your share and that's a level of awareness i think i think that it just has to that's i don't know maybe that's all it's going to take is to keep pumping that awareness into myself like no that's more than your share mm. mm-hmm. i don't know i don't think that's enough though i don't know what's going to be enough yeah i just keep moving in that direction is the best i can do yeah, I, I mean, they're all little pieces of the of the big puzzle. Mm-hmm. They are. So, before we wrap up, let's just, I feel like I need something to, to reach for, as usual. Something mm-hmm. to reach for. So, uh, I, um, I, I think that the thing that I want more than anything right now is is some clarity about what's going on in Connecticut where we live, just because that's where we live. Um, and you know, who's on the front lines in Connecticut right now. And, and, and I want to just say that, you know, when I, I called this, this podcast, hello, climate change. I had this image in my head of sort of like waking up and like, Oh, hello, climate change. Oh, you've been here all along and I just didn't recognize you. And, and all, and, and all these facets of that entity that we're calling climate change are exploitation of people and resources. And, and in a way, I don't even really feel like I have to be directly addressing, for instance, carbon, like emissions, even though that's really important and central. But every, every way in which we have this mentality that has made it seem okay to get the world in the situation we're in right now. So when I think about like trying to think about Connecticut, I want to think about, well, where where am I getting more than my share? Like, you know, learning that, for instance, that the way our government has been since, I don't know, was it the 60s when we did away with county government governance and now like the richer towns can keep their tax money for themselves and the poorer cities are kind of left on their own. Um, and so there's been increased poverty and, um, degradation of, of, um, uh, everything. I don't know. Everything. Basically I want to say systems, yeah, but that's more very vague. In more concentration of inequalities. Yeah. And the state having, being such a, such a strong, um, or I should say, such an extreme example of that. It just feels like, how can we address that? And it, how can we, who, is it, is it a matter of finding someone that we can vote for? 
that, that and campaigning or is it a matter of finding a campaign and campaigning for the idea of some kind of particular change yeah. but um like one thing that i find myself thinking i mean we're pretty good on minimum wage but not good enough like i'd, I'd like us uh, our state to be a 15 dollar an hour minimum wage state mm-hmm. and we're a 10 and a half dollar minimum wage state but yeah Anyway, we're one of the highest in the country right now. Um, I think I have to look at what it would feel like for me to give up some of the privileges that I have and what those privileges are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we can start with strawberries out of season. I think I'll just have strawberries in season. For oh, we have some in the refrigerator now. Well, they're they're not out of season right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll buy that. Okay. Anything else you want to say? I just want to put one plug in mm. for a an article in the New Yorker. I guess it was a couple weeks ago. Well, this is gonna this won't come out right away, so you try to be more specific about the date. Okay, I don't know the exact date, but it was mid June. Okay. And it was by Bill McKibben. Okay. Who right. is very well known in the yeah. climate change. Well, he's area. the head of three hundred and fifty dot org. Three hundred and fifty dot org, right? And he wrote an article that was talking about the. Um, relationship between utility companies and uh, individual citizens and in their states putting together incentives for um, individuals and groups of of, uh, neighborhoods to implement more sustainable um, energy policies and to also really encourage houses to be more energy efficient Mm-hmm. And they gave the example of the state of Vermont. I think it's called Green Mountain Power is their utility company. And they put this whole program together to incentivize individual residents to to upgrade their own, their own um, heating systems, do all kinds of insulating of their houses. And it, it really can very dramatically reduce people's energy usage. And he just gave that as an example of how utility companies can really be allies in in this whole issue. It was mm. it was actually kind of a hopeful tone to the um, to to the to the whole issue because yeah. it did give you this picture of a way that we could relate to power companies that isn't like they're the evil bad guys. They actually have a lot of expertise, and I think if they're given the right incentives or the the right mandates they they can make some pretty sizable gains in really reducing our you know carbon output awesome. so the new yorker did it give you any sense of something we should be doing to encourage that well it made me wonder are there similar things that we're doing with the big utility companies here in Connecticut mm. and i and i don't know cuz right. we've got we've got three main ones so it made me want to check that out a little more. Okay. Well, you know what that that makes. Here's something I can do. Um, Pat Bow, who came and talked with me, mm-hmm. who works for the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection on the environmental protection side. There's an energy sort of side. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he um, offered to put me in touch with people there who might be clo- working more closely on the question of climate change. So I will pursue that and hopefully be able to set up a conversation with somebody and maybe you can mm-hmm. help me formulate certain questions yeah. we can put to that person. Sure. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Jim. And thank you for listening. 
and uh, uh, hellocc.info is the website for the podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Rate me on iTunes um, so more people can find us. Have a good day. Bye. 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 Bye.